We are going to listen to the expert this morning, which is not me, okay? Can I just say that is not me? I am not an expert in this or in any other subject. We're going to listen to the words of Jesus this morning, help to take us through this subject of loving one another as he has loved us. And um, I want to ask the question first, why is this so important? Why, what's the big deal about loving one another? Surely if we love God and God loves us, why do we need to love one another? Well, let me give you three reasons. I could give you lots more, but the first one is it's it's what God measures us by. God measures us uh, as Christians or as followers of Christ, not by how much we know about the Bible or not by how clever we are or how articulate we are or how skilled we are or how gifted we are. He won't, he won't measure this church by how great the building is or how, by how great the music is or by how great the preaching is or by how great the serving is. He measures us by one thing alone and that's by how much we love. Francis Chan, who's a great Christian writer, he says, God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 6, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. John says something really strong, one of the New Testament writers. He says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother or sister, you are a liar. Ouch. That's a bit direct. In other words, we cannot say we love God vertically if also we don't love each other horizontally. I am not talking about being everyone's best friend. That's another issue. I'm talking about loving each other as God has loved us. So it's a big deal because that's how God measures us. Secondly, it's a big deal because it's what distinguishes us from any other people. And I think in my um, 50 years of being a Christian now, no, not 50 years of a Christian, 50 years of being alive, but certainly kind of 35 being a Christian, that then there's lots of ways that Christians have tried to distinguish themselves, to communicate to other people that they're a follower of Christ. Here's a few examples. I'm sure some of you will remember this, uh, kind of these kind of very subtle bumper stickers on your car. If you die tonight, would you be in heaven or hell? Subtle, really subtle, that one. <coughs> We've tried that. We've tried this. Keep going. Keep going, Chris. Go with me. Anyone remember those? <clears throat> what would Jesus do on your bracelet? This was another way of trying to distinguish yourself. Here's another one, a bit more modern. Faith book. Jesus added as a friend. Clever that, isn't it? Not really. Okay. I like this one. His way or subway. Do you like what's going on? And then this one. What about this next one? Noah, I'm flooding it. <laughs> Some of you haven't got a clue what that is. That's McDonald's, okay? I'm loving it, all right? So we try all these different things, like, you know, we wear crosses and, and, we, put, and we, we have Christian t-shirts, nothing wrong with it. But here's the thing. There is one way, one way, that one thing that will distinguish us as followers of Jesus, and Jesus nails it in this verse. Let me give you the context of the verse that we're looking at. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples, Okay? He's just showed them what he's all about. He's about serving. And then he says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's what will distinguish us in the world in front of other people. It's not how great we are. It's how much we love. But there's a third reason why loving one another is such a big deal. It's what ensures the health of our community. Several years ago, me and Dan Bennett, remember Dan Bennett? He used to be the associate pastor here, great guy. Uh, and some of us, of course, still in connection with him and relationship with him, which is brilliant. Me and Dan were in India visiting a family uh, that used to be in the church that were missionaries in India. And they lived in a place called Kodakanal in the south of India. And it was on a mountain which was 7,000 feet above sea level. 
And as we drove the first time up that mountain, there's 13 hairpin bends up this mountain. And I ain't kidding you, on the way back down, because we got adjusted to the altitude, on the way back down, once the, bre- once the kind of air changed, actually on the way up as well, you know, we had to stop several times to throw up, basically, because it was just awful. I don't know whether it was the 13 hairpin bends or Indian driving or the altitude. But I do know this, that when the air goes, it leads to sickness. When you have that altitude thing and the air goes and the breath that we breathe as a community, which keeps us healthy, the one breath that we've got is the breath of unity. When there's no unity, there's no health. But when there's unity there, then there's health, there's community, there's friendship, there's the moving of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's all this dynamic. So it's so important. That's why Tuesday night is important, guys. We don't have life groups this week. So we say, let's come together on Tuesday night, because we want to worship together. We want to pray into what God's doing here in this community and what God wants to do out there in the community. It's really important, those kind of opportunities. We get the chance to breathe that breath of air again, of unity and of being together. But you see, the problem is, I think we, our problem when it comes to this whole issue is a problem of circles. And this is something that God gave me many years ago, and I've drawn it for you many times, but I'm going to keep drawing it until Jesus comes or until we've completely solved this problem. I think it'll be the first one, to be honest with you, because this is a human problem. The problem is circles. You see, what we do is we draw a circle and we say, this is my circle of people. These are the people in this circle that I'm going to love, okay? And what we do is we say, okay, my family are in there, my friends are in there, maybe my life group are in there, or most of them. And we say, these are the people that we're going to love, okay? And then what happens is that when we come across other people, maybe in our circle, we push them out. Anyone know any difficult people? Mm. Anyone sitting next to a difficult person? Anyone would admit you're that difficult person? Yeah, yeah, you're looking around. Yeah, yeah. Married to, no, stop it. So difficult people. But also the other people that we push out of our circle are often different people. They're just different, you know? They're just like, they're different, maybe different background, different you know, maybe they're West Bromwich Albion supporters, so they're difficult and different, really. We just, we just push them out. We just don't get it. But, but maybe the other thing is, after a period of time, when, we, when we've got people in our circle, we say, do you know what? These guys or girls are damaged. And actually, they're li- maybe they're a little bit damaging, and we push them out. Or, or actually, the worst one, maybe, or the most difficult, is these guys and girls, they're dangerous. We put them out to another circle. And what we do then is we, we, we solidify this circle and so this becomes almost like a wall and it's about containing and preserving but what it's actually about is it's about restricting and excluding. Now, here's the challenge. If we're to love one another as Jesus has loved us, who is in his circle? Who is in his circle? Well, I want to suggest to you that in his circle were some very, very difficult people. I mean, I, don't, I find negative people quite difficult. He had Thomas, for goodness sake, who was always doubting. He had Peter, the big mouth, who was always putting his foot in it and getting him into trouble. He had some difficult people. He also had some different people in his circle. He had women. But the thing is about women in the day of Jesus, okay? (laughs) The thing is, you see, you push me out of your circle now, haven't you? The thing is about women in the day of Jesus. He was a Jewish man who was a rabbi. So you don't talk to women. 
And actually, Jesus didn't only have women in his circle, he had wild women in his circle. How many of you have what? No, I shouldn't have asked that question. He had wild women in his circle. And, and, and not only that, but on one occasion in John 4, he sits down at a well next to a woman who's a wild woman. She's got a reputation. And also she's a Samaritan. And Jews hated Samaritans. So, so Jesus embraced different people. He also embraced damaged people. You know, because he had lepers that nobody else would touch. They were in his circle. He had tax collectors that nobody else would associate with. They were in his circle. He had sinners. He had drunkards. He had all kinds of people in his circle. And do you know what? And this is where it gets really hard. He even had dangerous people in his circle. Because it says of James and John, the two disciples, they were the sons of thunder who wanted to call down fire on this town. And of course, he had a guy in his circle whom he loved dearly, whose name was Judas, who betrayed him. So, so if we're to love one another as he has loved us, it's challenging, isn't it? And here's the killer. Do you know who else Jesus has put in his circle? You and me. And I can be difficult, can't you? And a little different. And there's areas of me that are damaged and even dangerous. Now, I'm not saying, let me just clear this up. I am not saying that you shouldn't have boundaries. I'm not saying that you shouldn't let everybody into every area of your life. And there will be people for you who are too dangerous for you to let them close. I get that. I get that and I agree with it. But if we're to love one another as Jesus has loved us, we've got to let our circle grow a little bit bigger and maybe embrace some of the people that Jesus also embraces. I'm not talking about being best friends talking just about looking outside of your circle. So even when you come to church on a Sunday, don't just talk to your life group for goodness sake or your friends because that's your circle. But the circle, if we're to love God as God loves us, our circle has got to be the world, doesn't it? Because that's his circle. We've got to expand our circle. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the solution to all this. And if that can go, Simon, that would be great. And I want to talk about this idea that I want to develop with you this morning. And the idea is this, that one of the things that causes us to throw people out of our circle, to put up barriers to other people, is when we're offended. Anyone ever been offended? And you see, offense can create a fence which can turn into a wall which can result in a prison. Offense can create a fence which can turn into a wall which can end up as a prison. And what I want to do this morning is to share some thoughts with you and a visual illustration that are not mine. Okay, I was listening to some teaching and watching some teaching from a guy called Stephen Furtick. Many of you will know who Stephen Furtick is, pastor of Elevation Church, fastest growing church in the US. Okay, and this is so good. And the visual illustration I think is so good that I want to pass this on to you. So if you've got a Bible, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 22. And this is in, in, the, in the bit of teaching called the, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the highest teaching that you can ever, ever hear. This, this Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is phenomenal. This is ri- when Jesus taught this, all the people who were religious teachers said, Wow, we have never heard anyone with such authority teach such incredible stuff. And this is what he says in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister... Now, that's not your literal brother or sister, okay? Like my sister's here this morning. That, that isn't talking about that. Brother or sister is people in the community of faith. If you're angry with them, okay, you'll be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, and we'll look at Raka in a minute, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. 
You see, half of learning is learning, but half of learning is unlearning. Do you understand what I mean? You see, it's easier, uh, it's easier, well, it's harder rather to get old things out of our head than it is to get new things in. But half of learning is learning and half of learning is unlearning. That's why Jesus often says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, this is how you've heard it said. This is your learning. But I need to say, you need to unlearn some of the things you've learned in order to learn some of the things that I want you to learn. So yeah, that is English. I can really break it down. In other words, what we've learned, we need to unlearn so that we can learn the new things that God wants us to learn. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so he says this, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder. But actually, I want to suggest to you that murder in life occurs after there's a, almost like a murderous thought in your heart. So what happens in life starts when it happens in your heart. Long before anything happened in your life, something happened in your heart. And what Jesus is saying is this, if you let offense take root in you, it will become a fence that will become a wall, that will become a prison. And actually, Jesus says, and you'll end up in the fires of hell. That's nice, isn't it? But Jesus is not talking about hell as in where you go when you, live or when you die. He's not talking about that. He uses the word Gehenna. And Gehenna is a literal place that was outside Jerusalem where all the refuse and all the rubbish from the city would be taken and it would be set on fire and it would be smoldering permanently all the time. And Jesus says this, in your relationships, married relationships, family relationships, life group relationships, friendships, or any relationship that you've got, if you don't deal with offense, it will get worse and it will get deeper and you could end up living in a literal hell on earth. If you don't deal with the offenses, you will end up and it feels and looks like we are living in hell on earth. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, have you noticed, I, I, what I want to say is that, that we need to understand we have an enemy and our enemy is not stupid. And if relationships and unity are the biggest deal to God, our enemy is going to want to break those things up. And here's what happens. He has an agenda. His agenda is destruction. His strategy is division. And his tactic is offense. That's good there, isn't it? That's not mine. I wish it was. His agenda is destruction. His strategy is division. And his tactic is offense. We're so easily offended these days, aren't we? We're offended by everything. And I wonder if the reason it's so hard for us to stay happy is that it's so easy for us to stay offended. And maybe if we could learn to deal with our offense, we could learn to be happier with each other. And Jesus says, if you're angry with your brother or sister. Now, uh, there's two Greek words for anger. One means it's like, um, like dry straw that catches on fire very quickly and burns out very quickly. But Jesus isn't talking about that kind of anger. He's talking about another anger. The other verb for anger literally means it's a slow burning anger. It's an anger that you suppress. It's an anger that you nurse. It's an anger that you feed and that you keep warm. It's something that burns away inside of you towards another person. And if you don't deal with that, you are going to end up as a prisoner. You're going to end up in a situation where it feels to you like this is hell on earth. And... We can't help being offended because we're human. But what we do with our offense is really important. And it starts in your heart, but it works out through your mouth. And so Jesus says, when you say raka to someone, that sounds a great word, doesn't it? Raka. And it's very difficult to translate raka. It, it, it really is it's an Aramaic word. And, and, it, and it's about tone of voice. 
But it really means, it kind of means like you brainless idiot. It's a despising thing. Anyone ever been caught up on the road? Here's a new name for you. Next time you're tempted to say what you want to say, just say raka. It's in the Bible. But it kind of, it's good. It's cathartic, isn't it? Raka. And Jesus says, if you keep saying raka to someone, you know, over what they've done, then it gets worse. And then, he, then you call them, you fool. And that word, you fool, literally means moral character. It's about moral character. Not that they do foolish things, but they are a foolish person. So you've gone from raka, you idiot, why did you cut me up, to you fool, who do you think you are? And it's despising their character. He says, if you do that with people in your life, in relationship, eventually you're going to end up putting such a fence and a barrier between you that you're going to end up playing into the hands of the enemy whose agenda is destruction of relationship, whose strategy is division, and whose tactic is offense. And Jesus says, you've got to do something about it. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, what does that mean? If you're going to church and you're going to say, God, I want to honor you with all I am. We've sung this morning, I worship you. Or I want to give in my, the offering or I want to serve you. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Go first to the person and put it right. I wonder if, if I ask you this question. Is what's coming out of your mouth in worship, does that actually bear any relation to what's going on in your heart about someone else? Or actually, could we be singing, um, you know, your grace is enough, your grace is enough for me, but not for him because he's an idiot, or not for her because she really winds me up, but your grace is enough. Do, you know? So we're singing something to God, but in our heart, Something totally different is living. And Jesus says, if you don't deal with that, something bad is going to happen. And then he says, you've got to settle your matter quickly. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus says, what starts as racker ends up as prison. If you don't deal with the offense between you and that person, what starts out as raka ends up as prison. And I want to demonstrate it for you visually this morning. And I'm going to use a marriage illustration, uh, but this is not just true of marriage. This is true of every relationship. And I thought, who's been married in this church the least amount of time? In other words, the, the most recent married couple. So could you put your hands together and welcome Mr. and Mrs. Paul and Laura Campbell. Woo! Who are really loving what we've just done and are really... So, Paul and Laura, how long have you guys been married? Seven weeks. Seven <laughs> weeks. Isn't that beautiful? You know, the last couple uh, at the first service have been married seven years. And you've been married seven weeks. That's a, that's a God thing. Seven is the perfect number. And we haven't planned this, have we? I haven't asked you to do this. No. I can tell by the look on your face. So, I want you to, to look, and look as though you love each other. Not too much. Remember, it's a family show, but do you know what I mean? So, 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 so this, is, this is marriage, okay, together. Any relationship this works for, this isn't just about marriage. But the enemy's agenda is destruction of marriage, destruction of relationship, destruction of church, destruction of family. And his strategy is division. So what he wants to do is he wants to come in in between this loving couple of seven weeks and he wants to go like that, doesn't he? Because if he can do that, then eventually he can destroy this marriage. And the way he's going to do that is by bringing offense into the marriage. Offense. 
And here's the thing is that when you first get married, and some of you will know this, you know, everything's great, isn't it? And, and the thing that attracted you to the person when, you, when you're going out and when you're first married, later on drives you crazy. Am I right or not? So the fact is that, that what happened to Laurie, you see, is that, is that what she loved about, and I'm just making this up, okay? If I hit on anything, okay, it's either prophetic or whatever, okay? And, and she loved the fact that Paul, when she first met him, he's the life and soul of the party. And he's just, he's always chatting and he's always joking, he's always this. But now she's been married to him, not maybe seven weeks, but in a few years you think, Paul, will you ever shut up? Will you ever shut up? And so what happens is that, is that actually what starts out she loved it at first, but now she doesn't love it very much. And so what started, all of a sudden, she's got an offense, and she's holding it. She's carrying it. And, then, and here's the thing with Paul, right? Okay, He's like, you know what? What I love about you, Laura, is that you know, when we were together, you used to listen to me all the time. But now we've been married. Now we've been married 30 years. Oh, yes. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, they're carrying offenses. And what can happen is that, uh, is that um, and here's one, okay, this is a good one, all right? Uh, Paul says one, one Christmas, okay? I'm just making this up, we're rolling this. He says, darling, this is, this, is, this is not a bad Christmas dinner at all, but could you make the potatoes like my mother makes them? <laughs> and, and here's the thing, is that you, you, in your family, when you grew up, okay, birthdays were a really big deal, and you loved birthdays, okay? And when you got up every morning, like you had your special birthday breakfast, and you had your special birthday song that they used to sing in Latvia, okay? <laughs> and, and, and when your first birthday with Paul, there was no special breakfast, and there was no song. And actually, that was all right the first year, but then the second year, and the third year, and the fourth year. And the reason was, you never told him that. You see, the breeding ground for offense is unexpressed expectations. You with me? We don't talk to each other, and so therefore we don't understand that actually, if we'd have just talked about it, it wouldn't needed to be offense. It wouldn't need to be an offense that became offense. And here's what happens, you see. You see, what happens is that we take these things so Laura's really wound up now about the birthday and about the fact that there's no song and there's no special breakfast. And so actually she drives it in even deeper. And Paul then, he's a little bit wound up by the fact that, you know, uh, that Laura doesn't listen to him anymore like she used to. And so it becomes an offense. And so we're going to go on for a couple more here because it builds and grows, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Everyone who's married and anyone in any relationship. So Laura, go for it. Okay. So you just wish he'd shut up because he just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. Okay, just push it in there, girl. Go on, do it down. And then, and then the potatoes thing, you know, make it, you just get it and go on, push it in, push it in. Paul, you come up here. Okay, and that, and that thing that, you know, you, know that, you know that thing when she said, you know, you just suddenly realise that what Laura loves to do more than anything else is to go shopping. And when she comes back after Saturday, she's got bags on each of her arms. And you think, oh my goodness. Well, how are we going to pay for that? And she says, it's all right, because I've had it on the credit. And you think, right, great. And so you just push that in. All of a sudden, that offense becomes deeper in. Push it in, mate. Push it in. Can you see what's happening, guys? So an offense becomes offense. It eventually becomes a wall. It eventually becomes a prison. And here's the thing. Offense, offense is an event. Offended is a decision. Yeah. When someone offends us, that's an event. But if we stay offended, that's a decision. And so what's happened now is that this couple who began, who walked down the aisle saying we are going to be together forever, 
are actually now divided. That that family is now divided. That that relationship, that friendship is now divided. That that life group, that that church, that that community is now divided. You see, an offense becomes offense that becomes a wall that becomes a prison. And eventually, it feels like it's hell on earth. But aren't you glad that Jesus gives us the way to get out of this, aren't you? And maybe this morning, you, 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 as I'm showing you this visual thing, which I think is so powerful, and I say, I wish I'd have thought of it. But it's so powerful that, that maybe there's someone that you can think of in your life that is the other side of this fence. Someone that you're not in relationship with now because of little offenses that have been built up and solidified and have become this war. And, but uh, here's the thing. But, but when you do that, you're the one that ends up in prison. You see, L- L- Lewis Smead says that forgiveness is releasing a prisoner, setting a prisoner free, and finding out that that prisoner was you. And, and how do we do it? Well, what, what we do is we take these offenses and, and we look at how Jesus loved us. So, Paul, if you want to just grab one of those. Laura, do you want to grab one of those? And so we look, if we're going to love one another as Jesus loved us, how did Jesus love us? Well, what Jesus did is he dropped every single charge that was against you, didn't he? Every single thing that you've done wrong against him, he dropped. So if Jesus did that, if Jesus dropped every single thing that I've done wrong to God, he did that. And on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. If Jesus dropped the offense against me, then Laura, can you drop the offense against Paul? Go on then. So she's going to, what's she going to do? She's going to drop it. Paul, what's Paul going to do? Watch my iPad, mate. What Paul's going to do is he's going to, help me out, he's going to drop it. What's Laura going to do? What's Paul going to do? What are you going to do this morning? Drop it. Thank you, guys. Give him a round of applause. Listen, Jesus brought you into his circle. The only reason he could bring you into his circle is that he took the offense in you, the sin, the barrier, the fence, the wall, whatever you want to say, and he dropped it. So if that's how Jesus has reacted and responded to you, what can we do? What can you do? And what can I do in order to respond to other people? And here's the amazing thing is, in a moment, we're going to take communion. And of course, what we love is the fact that when we see Jesus on the cross, we see how to do it, don't we? We see the one who was offended beyond offense, the one who was nailed to a cross, the one who was, who was spat on, who was beaten, who was abused and who was whipped and who was crucified. And even on the cross, he said, I drop it. I drop it. I choose to drop it. To drop it. I drop it. I drop it. So I want to ask you, this morning, we're going to take communion. I want to ask the servers if you could go out there now, please, and start, start to, to get the emblems ready. I want to ask you. And here's the thing, guys. Just watch me for a moment, okay? I'm going to ask you in a moment to think about someone in your life who have, who's offended you. And it may be that there are some couples here and you are married. And you think, Do you know what? It's a bit of a joke there, but there's a little bit of stuff there. Maybe this morning I want to ask you, can you drop it? Can you drop it? Oh, yeah, but he, he's, he's done that. Drop it. Now, I'm not talking about reconciliation because that involves two people. Reconciliation always involves two people. Release always only involves one. 
So he, might, he or she might not want to reconcile to you. That's a different issue. But you can release it. You can release the event. And here's the thing. When you drop it, when you drop it, God gives you a new heart and a new spirit. When you drop it, God gives you new eyes to see that person in a new way. When you drop it, God gives you a new heart to love that person that you couldn't have loved before because you wanted to kill them. God gives you that heart. Corrie Ten Boom, who was a, a, um, a Dutch Jew in the Second World War. Many of you know this story. She was in a concentration camp with her sister, Betty. And while she was there, they were abused and Betty was killed in this concentration camp. And then just a few years afterwards, Corrie Ten Boom was speaking at a Christian event. And she noticed at the back a, a guy there who was one of the prison guards who'd been involved in the abuse of her and her sister. And she says, and she says in her book, The Hiding Place, that, that as he was walking down the aisle, he was walking towards me. He was going to talk to me. And all I felt in my heart was, was anger. She doesn't say this, but I can imagine her saying, Raka. All I felt was anger. But as he walked towards me, he reached his hand out and I couldn't do anything. But I just felt God say, reach your hand out. He says, and as I reached my hand out, he says, what I did was I dropped it. And as she reached her hand out, she said, so all of a sudden, God filled me with love for this man. If you wait for the love, you'll never do it. But if you reach out with intention and with action, God will give you the love that you don't have yourself. So I want to ask you right now, just let's close our eyes for a moment. Is there someone in your life, in your world, who's offended you or hurt you? Just hang on a second service for a moment. I want you just to think about that person. And then right where you are, could you just open your hands? Just open your hands. I know we did this last week, but just open your hands to say, Lord, I drop it. Lord, I choose to drop it. God, I'm sorry. Maybe it's time for me to expand my circle to include someone who's hurt me. But God, I want to release the offence because I don't want the offence to become offence that becomes a prison that ends up with a hell on earth. And so God, I drop it. You've dropped every offence against me. So Lord, I drop this offence in Jesus' name. And Lord, now as I drop this offence, now as I take the bread and the wine and as I take these emblems that remind me of what you have dropped, the offence that you have dropped over me, God, I just want to say thank you, Lord, to you this morning. In Jesus' name. So I want to ask, guys, if you could start serving. And I want to ask you, we're going to sing this amazing song again as we finish. And I want to ask you to, as you take the bread and as you take the, the juice this morning, to, to thank God for the fact that He has dropped every offence against you. And for us to say, do you know what? I'm not going to live in the safety of my own little circle. I'm going to be bigger than that. And when people offend me or hurt me, I'm going to drop it. Because I'm not going to let that offence become a fence that becomes a wall that becomes a prison. I ain't doing that. Life is too short to live like that. But I'm going to live a big life and a life that drops the offence before it takes you down that path of destruction and of division.